welcome to episode 23 of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host once again, Robbie Burke. And on this episode, I had the pleasure in interviewing Louis Simmons from Westside Barbell. Louis Simmons is one of the world's foremost experts on maximum strength development and powerlifting. On this episode, me and Louis discussed many topics, including the conjugate training method and the components that make up the conjugate training method, the maximum effort method, the dynamic effort method, and the repetition method. Me and Lou discussed many other topics including problems Louis sees within the strength and conditioning industry and why Louis believes the conjugate training method can enhance athletic and powerlifting performance. As with every other interview up until now, this was an extremely informative interview and I hope you guys really enjoyed. Uh, okay, um, Mr. Louis Simmons, um, thanks a million for being on my show. It's, it's a real honor. Just for anyone listening who's not too familiar with your background, which I imagine won't be too many people, just fill us in. Uh, about my background? Yeah, about your background. Uh, all right. Um, I made elite totals in five weight classes. I was top 10 for 30 years. Um, I've invented a reverse hyperextension machine. I had five patents on it. I had a patent on a plow swing patent on inverse curl. Uh, we've got the strongest gym in the world, powerlifting. No gym in the world has two 2,700-pound totals. We have five. Uh, we currently hold the 308 total record at 2,960 and the 275 at 2,960, and that's Dave Hoff. He's the greatest coefficient powerlifter of all time. And Laura Phelps, 1,800 to 165, is also the greatest female coefficient lifter of all time. And then plus Jason... Um, Coker owns the world record of 181 in a bench, and um, we have, as far as women go, we hold the world records at 132, 165, 181. So um, we've got 19 people over a thousand in a squat. We have two 1200s. We have 11 over eight, two over nine. We have 20 people deadlift over 800. So that pretty much sums up what we do. And I work with other sports, um, rugby teams. Um, NFL football sprinters. Um, I've worked with two Olympic gold medal sprinters. So, my my basic idea of what I do is uh, I'm uh, concentrate on special strength developments mm-hmm. from explosive strength, speed strength, strength speed, and um, and uh, strength measures at different velocities. So that's what we concentrate on. That's that's pretty much my background. Who who would you say? have been your biggest influences? Well, the Russian scientists, uh, Dr. Burpashansky, Dr. Zasazorsky, Roman, um, Medvedev, all the Russians. I really honestly don't listen to anyone in the United States. Um, I go in the Soviets because they actually had sports science. They had sports um, exercise science where they had scientists work with people that lifted weights and ran track and field. And that, they don't have that here. It's completely divided. So um, that's why I go by what they do. And uh, some of the data I go by, 780 highly qualified weightlifters, Olympic weightlifters, where in America we have zero. Mm-hmm. And so I follow what they did, you know, because they had great numbers, great data, and that's that's what I arrived at. Can, can you explain the, the conjugate method and, and how you actually developed it? Like what, what made you finally settle on that system? How, how, did, how did you come to develop the system? Well, that system had an official name in 1972 at the Dynamo Club. Dr. Berfrishansky worked there and Dr. Medvedev. They worked with weightlifters, uh, 70 highly qualified weightlifters plus high qualified track and field athletes. 
they started with exercises. They rotated 20 to 45 exercises. And at the end of their experimental time, uh, one athlete said he was satisfied, and the rest said he wanted more exercises. Mm. And uh, in 19, that was 72, and actually in 1969, when I got out of the Army, I trained by myself for several years. And so I found that I just couldn't go in and bench, squat, and deadlift, or even clean and snatch. I had to do several varieties of those exercises for boredom. And uh, another word is accommodate, uh, uh, law of accommodation. If you do something over and over for a period of time, you'll go backwards. And that's what I found very fast. So I did different pin deadlifts, different pin rack lockouts, board presses, one, two, three boards, floor press, dumbbell press, box squatting on different height boxes, right stance, close stance, and so forth. And at the time, I didn't have a lot of equipment, so don't think you need a lot of equipment. I, I remember uh, reading in your book, um, the, the West Side Barbell Book of Methods, you, you were originally into Olympic lifting, and then you, you, you got into powerlifting. How, how did that come about, Louis? Uh, well, I Olympic lifted from 14 years old until 18, and um, I did quite well. I did average, you know. Um, I normally would place in all the meets I went to, and I, did, I, open, I lifted in open meets, not teenage. Uh, this is in the early 60s, and um, in 1966, I was being drafted into the, um, the Army, and so one month before I went, there was a powerlifting meet in Dayton, Ohio. And I went there, and Larry Pacifica was there, Mel McKinney, Vince Mello, and George Crawford. All these men would become world champions in powerlifting later on when the IPF was formed. I'd never seen such well-built, powerful men in my life. And uh, that contest had 11 people in my weight class, 165. I weighed like 155. I beat one 55-year-old man. And I said, this is my sport. I realize there's a huge difference. The power is just amazing. And, um, you know, uh, unfortunately for us in America, um, we're really down on Olympic weightlifting. We can't get a guy in the Olympics. But um, Americans hold seven of the 12 total total weight classes for powerlifting in the world. And the women almost hold all of them. So it's all about training. It's small gyms like myself um, where you have a small group of, of fellows that do a lot of experiments and not afraid to change there is this uh, discussion louis that i've often heard you say that a lot of a lot of people say that olympic lifters have a higher power output than the power lifters but you disagree with this can you just uh, discuss that totally disagree with it uh you know load up there load uh, there's no american i mean if i told an american well let me put it this way if i load up 600 pounds show me your power output it'd be zero they couldn't budget Mm-hmm. How's that? Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a perfect example, and I want you to think about this. If you look at Benny Magnuson, and he did this is ten fourteen. I want you to time. I want you to time from the time he starts the plates off the ground till he stands erect. And then I want you to watch the heaviest clean ever performed. And I want you to count the time till he starts the weights off the floor and he stands erect. And you're going to be amazed to find that Benny's much faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know th- objects. Are, Fast objects and fast velocity produce small force. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, that's Hill's equation of muscle contraction. Objects and slow velocity produce great force. And that's why uh, powerlifters is a, you know, it's, it's two totally different sports. They're both beautiful sports. Yeah. But unfortunately, in America, they don't think you have to be strong. And if, if you don't have to be strong, why don't women beat men? And why do you have weight classes? Why would not a 123 lift what a super heavyweight does if strength doesn't matter? Mm-hmm. Can, can can you get into what do you think are the biggest problems 
with developing strength that you see with a lot of strength and conditioning programs? Um, well, first of all, if you want to be a strength coach, you have to make something extremely fast or extremely strong. If not, you're, you're just a maintenance worker. Okay. And they're afraid to use max effort. Max effort is the greatest method of all strength training. They're afraid to use max effort. They're afraid to hurt someone, which you will not hurt anyone. I started a 14-year-old, Kenny Patterson now at 14, was the open world record holder at 20. I started Joe McCoy, McCoy at 15. He was 198 world, open world champion at 19. I started Dave Hoff at 15. He started competing at 16. And Dave is the youngest ever to total 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, and 29. They trained exactly like my top people, side by side. The same thing that Nam Suleban did when he went to the Bulgarian camp. Mm -hmm. He trained right beside world champions when he was uh, 10 years old. Mm -hmm. there's, uh, there's only one system. There's, there's not an eight system. Uh, in the beginning, you know, in the Soviet Union, they had the rule of three. For three years, you and I and everyone else would go to a sports school. You do tumbling, gymnastics, uh, rope climbing, push-ups, chin-ups, run obstacle courses, short sprints, long sprints, and then it would be determined what sports you would be suited for. And so when a young fellow comes to me, um, he's already normally played high school football, and so he's built some agility and mobility and flexibility and work capacity, and that's how we start them out. For me, that's their rule of three before they arrive here. Do, do you think for somebody, though, that plays a sport, we'll just say that that requires a lot of running or speed or agility, like, you know, we'll just say American football. Do you, uh, do you think maxing out every week with the max effort method is a good thing for those athletes, or do you think they don't necessarily need to lift as much of a max effort, so maybe hitting uh, triples and fives rather than singles and doubles that would... Tri triples, and triples and fives build strength endurance. It does not yeah. build strength. But do, you, but do you think even for, for athletes who are, who are they're not just lifting, they also have to run and do agility work, do you think that it might overtrain their, their nervous systems? No, you're overtraining your nervous system by doing fives. If you did five with 500, that's 2,500 pounds of weight. Yeah. If I did one with 525, I got a new record. But you did five times the work. Okay. <laughs> I've got more explosive power. If you bounce the ball five times, every bounce, the ball bounces less and less. Right? Yeah. You lose power as the repetitions go along. American football is a game that is played, the average in college is four to seven seconds of play, 40-second rest. If you've ever watched my explosive power tape, uh, it shows um, two lifters that I have, one female, who uses 330 and 140-pound of band, do 10 doubles every 40 seconds. Mm -hmm. The young man, uh, Phil Harrington, they're both world, world record holders, uses 420, 140. Uh, and then they, and within 30 seconds, they have to deadlift. Laura pulls 275 and 220 a band, and Phil pulls 325 and 220 band for six doubles every 30 seconds. That is sports specific. Mm -hmm. you, you have to have a ratio that's interval training. Football's interval, 47 second play, 40 second rest. When I train athletes, um, they do squats every 40 seconds, and the doubles is four to, represents 40 to seven seconds like a play. Can you Exercise specificity. Can, can you and you can't do, can I say something else? Oh, yeah. You can't do heavy weights and multi-joint exercises. The weakest joint will, will hurt yourself, but your lower back will give out, you pull a hamstring, and so forth. Um, a blind training area at Westside, and this goes for hip tapalon, um, uh, athletes, and sprinters, and all my powerlifters. Only 20% of the training is with a bench squat and deadlift. 80% is facial exercise. 
exactly how I train football players. Can you speak about rotating uh, your main lifts and what, why the need is for this? All right. If you must, on max every day, you must rotate a lift each week. Science has proven that if you, let's say if you handle a heavy deadlift at 90% or above for three weeks in a row, you go backwards. Any lift at 90% above for three weeks, you'll go backwards. That's the law of accommodation. That's a biological law. All right, each week I switch exercise. Each week I, we break a record. I've got a fellow that totaled 2,400 one year and two months ago, moved here, and just hit 2,730. On, on the two max effort days for the squatting dead and the bench, he's never failed to break a max effort record. It's the greatest system that there is. Uh, nobody else can go in twice a week and break an all-time record. We can't. Can, can you speak now about your dynamic effort days? Um, I, I believe, were you the first coach to kind of coin dynamic effort work and to kind of implement I know it was in Zaskador, uh, Professor uh, Zaskadorsi's work, but I believe were you the first coach to, to actually put it into practice? Yes, I was. All right, well, it's for a fast rate of force development. That's what football or basketball or every sport, you know, it's, the first step is, every, is important in every sport. Mm -hmm. And there's where your multiple sets are. Um, you know, we do 12 doubles, 12 doubles, 10 doubles. And um, it's all based off math. Like a 400-pound squatter would train with, I'll explain it, they train, I say, 50 to 60% for a powerlifter. And on top of that, we use 25% band tension. So 50 at the top turns into 75 and 60, 85 on the third week. If you look at the, the surveys on 780 high-qualified weightlifters, 50% of their training is at 75 to 85%. That's speed strength. That's exactly why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, and we'll run up in three-week waves. Uh, Mel Siff, I used to do seminars with Mel uh, for super training. And Mel asked why I would use a three-week wave. And I told him after three weeks, I got no stronger, no faster. So I'd rotate back. And Mel informed me that Alexis, the greatest weightlifter you know, of all time in super heavyweights, used the same system. And Mel said no one could train him better than he could train himself. Mel's coaches were my authors. And so we'll, we'll run up, we'll maybe use two chains, you know, if you're a 400 squatter, just two chains with um, 200, 220, 240. Then on the fourth week, you roll back and use three set of chains. 220, 240, 220, 220, uh, 240. All right, so each week you just change the combination resistance. And bands are more important than chain because they have overspeed eccentrics, yeah. causing greater street, straighter, uh, greater reflex, stretch reflex due to overspeed eccentrics. And how, how did you come up with this idea? Like, were you just sitting down one day and you just went, aha, bands, chains to, to accommodate the resistance? How, how did that thought filter into your mind? The chain came to me because a gentleman called and, and asked me how I how how do you use chains, and I told him, and he and oh weight releasers. I'm sorry. He asked me how to use weight releasers, and I told him. He said that was similar that what they did in the old days with chains. They took chains to the bar. So as you stood up, the chain, of course, would get, you know gain weight on the way up, but also would reduce weight on the way down. Yeah. So weight releaser, you already got one rep. The weight comes off, and then you're stuck. But chains will make a perfect weight at the top and the bottom, and um. I use bands, I realize, because it's greater to increase velocity than mass. So bands create more velocity on the eccentric phase. Yeah. And that's the key to strength, reversal strength. That's why depth jumps are so important. Okay, we get into the, the squat, Louis, because I know you're very passionate about the squat and the way you teach the squat over certain other methods. Can you just talk about when you hear the word squat, 
what straight away comes to your mind? Well, squat. We all box squat here. <laughs> and I know that there's 12,000 pound squatters, and I know at least seven are box squatters. Mm -hmm. I've had two here, and I trained Vlad when he squatted 1,250 pounds, which I didn't count. And we all box squat. It's the greatest method of squatting. You can squat wider and deeper on a box than you can without a box, but you break out the eccentric, concentric chain. You go for some of the muscles that are held static and overcome by dynamic, while others are relaxed, overcome by dynamic. Those two methods of strength training is the greatest possible for absolute strength and explosive strength. That's why we use them. Every squat we do, if as weights get higher, you watch people in the gym. As weights grow heavier and heavier, they squat higher and higher. But if you squat on a particular box, a thousand squats later, you all you you, you squat into proper depth on every one. I have a question here on, on Facebook, Louis, about box squats, and it was, do you think box squats are really good for speed power athletes that need to sprint? Yes, to train two Olympic gold medal sprinters. <laughs> my, my box jump record in a gym is 63 and a half. Oof. We train by setting on a box, jumping up to a second box. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's box squats is the key, because when you run, you go from relaxed, overcome by dynamic. One leg's off the ground, it's not doing anything. And All right? Do, do, and so when you, that's what you do when you box squat. Break out the eccentric, concentric chain. Would you ever uh, use a regular back squat or front squat in rotating your, your main lifts? Never. Never. Because box squats are the best. Okay. Yeah, but if one stock makes all the money, I'm putting all my money in the stock that makes me the most money. Okay, okay. We only squat when we go to a contest. My guys put never put the straps up till they go to a contest or knee wraps. Okay. Can you speak about the reverse band method, Louis? How, how did this concept come about? All right. I use reverse band. It's, an old, it's a reverse band called the light method or future method, as the Soviets would refer to it years ago. Um, basically, it, the bands are hooked at the top of a rack. It takes weights off the bottom. I think it's just a tester. It's not a builder. People overdo that style. It's much better to have bands on top of the bar. GPP, Louis, how, how important in your mind is GPP, not only for an athlete, but even just for a powerlifter? And, and what would GPP um, consist of in Westside? We're huge on GPP. Um, for one thing, our guys will push, pull a heavy sled uh, or push a heavy wheelbarrow once a week. A heavy sled once a week, a heavy wheelbarrow once a week, or a strongman yoke. Um, you have to be conditioned. If you don't have, uh, if you're not physically prepared, you can't do the next heavy workout. We uh, GPP is for recovery. You have to recover between these large workouts. Um, the fellow, like a, 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 12, a thousand pound squatter, will do twelve thousand pound a, a thousand pound squatter do twelve thousand pounds of squats. But his reverse hypers following that is forty five thousand pounds. So you have to be conditioned to be able to go in and do all that work for the low back, hamstrings, and glutes. Yeah, yeah. So that's why we pull sleds. Um, a lot of the guys will pull basically about a half a mile, two or three plates a half a mile. We prefer for power training 60 yards, but for conditioning, they'll pull a, a quarter to a half a mile. I just want to ask about the, the biggest mistakes you see with regards to technique with the, the box squat, bench, and deadlift. So that, let's just start with the box squat. What, what are the biggest technique flaws that you generally see? People don't know how to box squat. There's only one way. You When you squat in general, you don't push your... You don't push down with your feet, you push your feet apart. Okay. You must sit back on the box squat. When you sit on a box uh, properly, your shin is passed straight up and down. So to get off the box, it's a leg curl. Mm -hmm. 
You can't go down and touch the box. You have to set fully on the box like maybe you're sitting down now, and to get up, you flex off the box, or you have to flex to get off the chair. It builds tremendous hip and glute power, and the largest muscles in the body are the hips and the glutes. What about, okay. What about the oh, and, and, and one more thing on just squat in general. I know we don't have all day. When you sit on, when you in the full squat or the box squat, when you sit on the box to come up, you must push against the bar yeah. first. Yeah. Do not push with your feet. That's why people round over. What about the, the bar position on the back, Louis? What's your take on the bar position and, and where the hands and the elbows and arms should be? Uh, all right. If you're eventually, you're going to have to have your arms all the way out. It'll suffer from bicepial tendonitis. All you do is pull the elbows forward and tighten up the lats. And uh, secondly, the bar sits on top of our shoulders. If you watch any of our videos, you can see the top of the, you can see the bar on top of our shoulders. It's not down the back. Mm -hmm. That's old style. And uh, there used to be old powerless, you know, uh, low bar and high bar. Well, that's that's the thing of the past. Uh, we carried the bar high. Really, really, I I actually thought you guys carried it low. I didn't know that. No, we carried high. Look at any photos of our guys. You can see the bar on top of their shoulders. Okay. Bench, uh, biggest mistakes with bench technique, Louis. Okay, biggest mistake, I think, is overarching the lower back. Makes no sense at all because the bar lands on the upper back. You have to have a thick upper back and strong triceps. When the, the bar has to be handed out or you take it out over you, it must go down in a straight line and go up in a straight line. Okay. If it push the bar over your face, you're rotating your shoulders and you're going to suffer rotator injuries or soft pec injuries. So we push the bar, we take the bar, hand it out, straight down, straight up. It's the shortest distance. And no rotators, you're not going to get hurt. And then finally, the deadlift. What are the biggest mistakes you see with pulling off the ground? Uh, well, first of all, uh, if, 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 in a sumo, again, you must, you, all you do, you drive your feet apart and you pull backwards on the bar. I mean, uh, pull yourself down as deep as you can go, which a lot of guys won't get that deep. The better you are to build the deadlift, the higher your hips are. I just watched a gentleman pull 904 at 231 from Russia, and the hips are, he's built a deadlift, hips are high when he starts like everybody else. And um, in the conventional deadlift, a lot of people will stand on a box, and they believe it builds up your back. But a box deadlift is, it teaches one to engage your legs longer. So try to engage your legs as long as possible. All right? So everything, you know, so that way it makes everything constant. Um, uh, Tom Eisman, I asked Tom Eisman, a great deadlifter, like, near 800 to 181. I asked, where do you feel the deadlift? And he said, everywhere. And that makes sense. You shouldn't feel the deadlift in your lower back, hamstrings, traps. You should feel it everywhere. It should be distributed equally if you want to be an efficient deadlifter. With regards to um, supporting assistance exercises, Louis, for, again, we'll just go with, the, with, with squat, bench, and deadlift. What, what are your, your cornerstones with regards to assistance exercises for, for the big three lifts? Well, for this for squat or dead, deadlift, I mean, outside of pulling the sled and push the wheelbarrow, because it, it's enormous power builders, um, lots of reverse hypers. Like I said, the rate, it's a 12,000-pound squat, and there's 45,000 pounds of reverse hypers. My girls in squat 450 will squat 5,400 pounds in the workout, 26,000 pounds of reverse hypers. Then it's the inverse curl, flute ham raise. Of course, you know, that's the major ones. One of, the, one of the absolute top ones we do, we stand in a belt squat, uh, load up an enormous amount of weight, and we walk. And it's like a hip lift, and you just walk in place or stand in place, and it's done wonders for all of our lifters, including MMA fighters and sprinters and, and the powerlifters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, for the bench press, the strongest muscle has to be the triceps. 
And also, you have to have very strong abs, though, in a deadlift and squat. The abs will straighten your body up the first 45 degrees, then the spinal rectors the last 45 degrees. This is traumatic change. This is how the body really works. A lot of people don't understand that. Uh, that's why they need to read a lot of uh, good books. You know, power, super training, practice science, a book that you're familiar with. Okay, for the bench press, the strongest muscle has to be the triceps. They has to fire the bar first. And then upper back, lats, and, um, you know, and traps. Of course, you have to have big forearms. We do very little chest training here. And uh, a bench press is a terrible chest exercise anyhow. Because the work to, build, to flex your chest, you have to cross your arms in front of you. Mm-hmm. If you push your arms straight out, it doesn't flex your chest. Mm-hmm. That's why pec decks are made that way. So, see, we press in a straight line, so lots of triceps and lots of upper back. Can, can you just can, can you just speak about in the bench press? I've I've seen videos of you before. We speak about nearly trying to bend the bar. Why why would someone want to bend the bar? Okay, when you take a bar out, because you know I, I watched. Um, I watched in Powerlifting USA, a Soviet coach, or a Russian coach, I think it was uh, Shiko, he demonstrated for two months about 10 pages of how to bench. I believe if you took a broomstick and you tried to break it in front of you, when, you're, when your uh, little finger bends down, that activates the tricep and the lat. That's all there is to bench pressing. And you want to stretch the bar as if you're doing a snatch. When you stretch the bar apart, you activate the triceps. And that's it. Straight line bench and pull and pull down on it. Pull the you know the the index finger up and bend the um, little finger down, and that puts the bar in the palm where it belongs and causes you to have a better bench. Activate all muscles correctly. In in training an athlete, Louis, like someone that plays, a, you know, again, we'll go back to American football, let's say, or rugby. Would you integrate more single leg work in the assistance work? No. No. Okay. A rugby player does single leg every damn day. You run every day. So, don't, you know, what you're good at, don't work at. Work out what you're bad at. I mean, most people can't squat with two legs, let alone one. So just do regular squatting, power walk with sleds. Just power walking is absolutely the most essential thing, I believe, in my gym for all sports. It will build all the muscles in the posterior chain. It increases um, strength in the foot. Um, it's the building in the ankle, knee, and hip. And there's no, there's no pounding on the spine. There's no tractioning down. There's no compression on the spine while you've got the uh, belt hooked around your waist. Are you familiar with, with uh, Brendan Lilly's cube method? And if so, what, what do you think of it, Louis? Brendan Lilly trained here. Brendan Lilly basically couldn't handle the, you know, the amount of training. He was always hurt here. So it's watered down. And we beat Brandon by 300 pounds. <laughs> so I like for people to do cube training. Or to five three one because I'm that makes it positively sure that we're going to beat them. Okay, okay. You can't make up a method. There's no such thing as a cube. You're from overseas. You actually find it. You know, the five three one come from Europe. It's a watered down system. It doesn't work. And uh, the cube is a watered down website. That's for people that they're lazy, can't do enough work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you know, and, and I, I want to say one thing too about myself. No you know, when I, when I write articles, I write about an enormous amount of lifters I have. I don't have to write about myself. I got warriors I sent out on a battlefield, not yeah. me. Yeah. I've made greater lifters than myself, and that's the point. I have a system that works for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Louis, let's just say someone had it three days and only three days per week to, to, to implement the Westside method. How, how would you go about that? Um, how, how could someone 
do a three-day version of the West Side Barbell? Well, I would prefer them not because you need 72 hours in between extreme workouts. That's why we, we speed bench on Saturday, max bench on Wednesday, speed squat on Friday, max death on Monday. You need 72 hours in, uh, in between extreme workouts. Uh, I really, you know, I don't know. It, it would be watered down and, you know, it really stops the system. Okay, okay. You, you've never implemented three-day with anyone before, have you? No, because the key to strength is work capacity. Yeah, yeah. I can explain it mathematically like this. Um, when we train a 50 to 60% with 25% band tension at the top or chain, a 400-pound squatter workout is 4,800 pounds. Four, 240 times 2 is 480 times 10 is 4,800. A 600-pound squatter trains between 3 and 360. 360 times 2 is 72, uh, 720 times 10, 7,200 pounds. You see how this volume goes up? Mm-hmm, exactly. All right. An 800 is 9,600. A 1,000 is 12,000. This is very, very important. And you talk about, boy, I want to bring a couple things up. All right. You say, we'll just say rugby, and you want your rugby players, we'll say squat, to be able to squat 600. Would I have my rugby player squat 600? Of course not. I would have him train with the short rest intervals from 300, 330, and 360 with maximum acceleration producing 700 pounds of force, 600 pounds of force. Mm-hmm. I'm a little smarter, uh, you know. And listen, uh, because it doesn't matter how strong you are, it's how if you can produce force. Yeah, repeat. All right? Re- I, just, I watched a thing in the track magazine, which I was astounded to think about how off-centered they are. They took the top, they took people's best discus throw and shot put and compared it to their maximum lifts. It had no correlation. Of course not. It's a speed string sport. If they if they would have tested people from 75 to 85 with the fastest bar velocity, I'll guarantee you it would have panned out uh, straight down the line from the best of the worst. Do you think Olympic lifters could benefit from implementing chains and bands into their into their exercise into I've their training? <laughs> I've done it. If Olympic lifters would just uh, you know, I, I mean they're gone nowhere. It, it's ridiculous and. What the first thing Olympic lifters need is a good coach. Yeah. There's no good coaches here in America. If there was, we'd have a good team. You show me sport that's no good, they have bad coaches. I'm sorry for hurting anybody's feelings, but that's the way it is. And so, yes, you must use bands and cords. Dr. Medvedev said in the 60s, you must use bands on a bar, bands or cords. You, Olympic lifting is a terrible deceleration sport. Bands will eliminate bar deceleration. That's why we use it. You know, two of the greatest elements of Olympic lifting is the squat under. If you have bands to the bar, when you jump under the bar, you must jump under much faster. All right? And not full extension of the torso in the in the cleans. And cleans are the snatch. Well, that also because it causes you to pull the bar completely through the full range of motion. Mm-hmm. But, but the, the, there are Olympic lifters who are very, very explosive themselves. Would you not agree? They're explosive, but they're weak. I mean, I don't know what your Olympic lifters are doing, but put on their world record and see if they can budge it off the floor. Mm-hmm. Their explosive power just went out the door, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh? Did it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're damn right it did. They can't lift even 20K. They said, if a guy wants to tell me how explosive it is, load a 20K for the world record and show me. They have no explosive power. Yeah, okay. okay. I mean, anybody can lift light weights at fast velocity. Yeah, well, well, I mean, right. well, well, I, well, well, and show me. Well, 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 to, well what, what the top top guys lift in to me wouldn't be like to you. It might be light, but uh, to me, it's not. Well, to me, it's not light at all. But um, I, I, 
I can tell you this. Uh, I had two men here. One was an 832 deadlift during the 804. Uh, they pulled 495 of a tendo, 495 of 1.2 meters per second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's world class for Olympic lifter pulling that's that weight That's unreal, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Louis, do, do, what, what do you think about, just with regards to longevity in powerlifting, what would you focus on with regards to just like mobility and, and some maybe motor control work with regards to your, your powerlifters? What, what do you think are key, key areas that need to be taken care of? GPP. Okay. GPP and uh, wear, wear gear while you do the list. Okay. You know, moderate, just moderate gear. My guys, uh, we always wear briefs on speed squat. Uh, max over bench, they never wear anything. Uh, they'll put a short on once a month. Um, and, but all their system work is done without it. But any technical stuff like sumo deadlifts and box squatting, um, they wear gear. Uh, there's no reason to get beat up. So that's why they do it. And by wearing gear and taking it off, you'll be stronger. When you take your gear off after wearing it, you become stronger. Now, I, I'm going to ask, uh, ask a question, and, and this, this is just coming from what, you know, the, like some people would say, and it's not me having a go at you, but what, what do you say to those powerlifters who don't wear gear and who criticize the Westside guys for wearing gear? Well, I, I never criticize weak people. I don't know why peop, weak people would criticize strong people. <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great way you know, to put it. If you criticize the king, he chops your head off. Yeah. But, yeah. You, you know, I, I've always had a saying that big dogs don't worry about little dogs. And listen, I've got a guy his first meet went 825, 600, and 800. Yeah. First meet. So we're going to put an end to this crap. And in 1973, when there was zero gear at 180, hour and a half way in, I did 630, 390, and 670. Whew. That's my answer. What What about the second criticism, which is that your squat is not really a squat, that you don't break parallel? That's what a lot of people would say. <laughs> well, here's my, here's what I've said. I'll take ten thousand dollars. I'll enter a four man team, and we'll just bench and deadlift. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and tell them to bring it on. <laughs> you know, everybody's. I don't know why. I we've lifted in every federation. I heard the same thing. You know, um, just people hate winners. Yeah. There's okay. a million losers out there, and a loser's always going to hate a winner. Okay. No, I just that's I, just I, the way it is. I want to. Get... You know, we lived in the same federation where I lifted in the the APF, the USPF, the IPA, and the, and the SPF, and they hear the same thing. And the reason is because we kick everybody's ass. So I so, said, well, we just won't squat, and we'll see who wins all the money and who wins the meet fair. I mean, half bench is nine seventy, then let's say twenty five. At two, you know, at two seventy-five. So who's going to beat that? I've got a, you know, eight. Uh, I've got an eight sixty and an eight thirty. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a nine fifteen and an eight and an eight fifteen. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Oh, I know. So we can eliminate the squat and just we'll see who shows up with their ten thousand dollars. Okay. Okay. Now that's... And I guess we bench high too, you know. So what the hell? <laughs> Just with regards to, to, to lifting gear, Louis, in your opinion, what are the best type of shoe that you can train in? Uh, Chuck Taylor. Yeah. The best shoe is no shoe. It's been proven. Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. You're also famous for the reverse hyper, Louis. Can you speak about how this healed your, your back and how you came up with the reverse hyper? Well, I came up with it because I was desperate. No one was going to fix me. And uh, I was on crutches for 10 months in 73, leaving into uh, 74. And I, I couldn't do back raises. It would kill me to put pressure with my ankles to raise my upper torso. So I decided, what if I did it in reverse? I jumped up in a power rack with a couple of boards as support, raised my feet to the rear, swung them underneath me as far as I could, and it popped up my back and it didn't hurt. So that's how I originally came up with that. And I, I mean, 
mean, I'll be honest with you. Like I told this crazy Canadian, I'm sure the Russians were doing this in 1910. You know, I never seen it, and if I had them, I'd have done it uh, immediately. But it fixed me, and then later on, uh, I kept it a secret till 1992. We've always had a private gym, and then I applied for my first patent and, and got it. And I've had five patents on it so far. Now, with this, with this next question, Louis, it's a, you, you, you can, it's up to yourself to answer or not. But what is your take on on steroids and powerlifting? Well, uh, I think all sports there should be no drug testing. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't know about where you're at, but here they have aging clinics, and um, so if you're, you know, if you have low testosterone, they'll give you testosterone. Yeah. If yeah. you're in the UFC and your testosterone is lower than the allowable amount, you could take testosterone to raise it up. There should be no drug testing. And uh, the whole world's going to be on anabolics sooner or later. Women's been on hormone therapy forever. I haven't heard anything about that. Yeah, yeah, that that's funny because that that is what that's what I actually say to a lot of people when they say, "Oh, steroids," and I'm like, "Listen, if when a woman is taking a pill, that's an that's an that's a steroid hormone." <laughs> that's right. Well, take away all. I'm 65, but we take all the hard medicine, kidney medicine away. I'd be one of the few 65 year olds alive. Oh, yeah. I don't have, I I don't need any medication, Joe. I'm perfectly healthy. Just with repetition work, Louis, can you can you explain why repetition work is is so important as a cornerstone to to assistance work? Uh, yes, because it builds thicker ligaments and tendons. See, everyone neglects the ligament and tendon growth. As muscles get larger, so should ligaments and tendons, and that's where that that's where the stretch reflex is stored in the soft tissue. So, like we do, as many as 200 microns at a time. Um, well, all the sled dragging we do, we do um, um, push-downs, like 300 push-downs while we're not working out a week. Light push-downs for the tensions around the elbows. Oh, my God. You know, like I said, reverse hypers are normal. Like, you know, the girls do 20, 26,000 pounds of reverse hypers mm -hmm. to squat 450. So all type of connected because the lower back is not the best connected tissue. So we do an enormous amount of work like that. Okay. Do you ever integrate any explosive jumping or plyometrics with your powerlifters? Yes, we do. We do. Um, the guys that I can get to do it, we do 80 jumps a week, two, 40 jumps twice a week. And like I said, my, my box record here with, with an intern is 63 and a half inches. I've got a 63 behind it and a 60 behind that. Whew, that's something else. I had a fellow on his knees with two set. 265 on his back, jump onto his feet. Who have been your, your I wouldn't say favorite, but your, your well, probably favorite. Who have been your favorite powerlifters that you've trained or your most memorable uh, lifters that you've trained? Well, I've had so many, but uh, uh, Greg Benor and Chuck Vogelpool, they're probably the, the couple of the strongest. And uh, we've got guys, Dave Hoff has been amazing, you know, starting with, uh, you know, competing at 16 and, He's a tool, a, tool, a tool model, a true model of Westside. He was brought up for proper technique, uh, got in gear in the very beginning, and um, you know, and he's very mental. He's uh, just a great competitor, and he's broke all kind of records. So, and uh, well, he's, I mean, as of right now, he's our greatest. But we we broke way over 100 world records, you know, in uh, in all time, in this you know, not federation, all time world records. So I've had so many. I mean, Laura Phelps, even my wife was a five-time world champion. Uh, Amy Weisberger, uh, I mean, Mike Ruggiero, Kenny Patterson, George Howard. He goes on and on and on. I can't even barely remember all the guys I got. Doug Heath was our first. Matt, or Doug, Doug was our 
84 broke the world record in the squat. So it goes way back. We constantly had this. A.J. Roberts, too. Yes, absolutely, A.J. Roberts. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I, there's so many. I, I don't even want to bring them up because I'm going to leave half of them out. Yeah, yeah. I've had an army here. I haven't had one. And, you know, um, there's a lot of gems come and go, but this gems, uh, we were national team titles record or uh, team title uh, holders in 1980, and we're still here. So I've Lu- seen lots of gems and lots of systems, and they come and they go. So, Louis, I, I, I would just want to ask, is, is there anything else like that you, that, that kind of, what, what grinds your gears that you'd like to get off your chest? Well, what are you seeing within uh, the performance uh, industry or even powerlifting itself that, you, that, you, that you'd like to give your two cents on? Uh, nothing. I, since the very beginning, I listened in USPF. If you miss a lift, they didn't have to tell you. <laughs> and so I've always, you know, just like the guys about the squads, I don't make the rules. We, I've always followed the rules. So that's what we do. We, whatever the rules are, we follow them. We don't complain. And another thing for your high squat guys, if I knew, if I was going to a meet and I heard that they're passing high squats, I'll probably drive over there and lift. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't make a beeline over there so I could get a bigger squat. Yeah. So, you know, I, so they know where we lift. These guys should come and get some bigger numbers because no one's going to ask you how many whites you got ten years ago. They're going to ask you how much you squatted. Yeah, yeah. Did they're not going to ask you what you wore or, or how old you were or anything else. Just my. Did, I've only got one, one or two questions left, Louie, okay. and that's it. Just yeah. um. What a, what do you say to, to, to well, say strength and conditioning coaches? I often hear strength and conditioning coaches say, yeah, the, the West Side method is a, is a great method, but it's, it's only for powerlifters. You know, they, they, would say, uh, they would say, like, you, you can take some of the concepts and, and, and use them on athletes, but you can't use the whole system. What, what would you say to that? Well, uh, I'd ask those athletes if they've ever been here. Yeah. yeah. You don't know West Side until you visit West Side. Okay. And I've cons- I've worked with the Cleveland Browns and Seattle Seahawks, the Green Bay Packers, um, the Patriots have my stuff forever right now, the Cowboys. All you got to do is see who buys all of our equipment. You find out who's doing what side. All right, many, many major colleges. I took, uh, as a, for instance, um, an indoor sprint champion in the Big Ten, which in case you don't know is a huge, you know, conference. He ran, in a, he wanted to go to the Olympics. He ran 1047 in the 100. And a track coach at Ohio State, this is years back, said, George, he'll, George will never run any faster. I took George hiding for nine weeks. He ran 10-17. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last time I had an NFL ball player here, um, he's a tight end from Ohio University. He ran a 5-1, 292 pounds. And I had Johnny Parker here, who has four Super Bowl rings, as a string coach and visited me quite often. And so he witnessed this. They said, if I can knock a tenth off, he'll make a lot of money. In two months, he ran four seven seven, mm-hmm. and at the same body weight, and his long jump went from eight nine to nine eight. So that's what I tell straight cutting. When when you have a, a you know again a football player, rugby player, whatever, do you also do their speed agility work, and would you do any field based conditioning along with what they're no. doing in the gym? No. Okay. You can't make a ball player in a weight room. You know, in America, I don't know about overseas, but you've got. 40 coaches on a football field. Mm-hmm. I, you cannot make a, a football player in a weight room. You can only make a stronger, more explosive. That's my job. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't tell anyone how to play football. I don't tell how anyone to beat up someone in a UFC fight. We just make them stronger and more explosive. That's our job. 
But I think with my question, I'm not I'm not asking about Pacific football drills. What I'm saying is just even would you take them out and even do like you know twenty meter sprint work or even change the direction not. work? No. no. I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> okay. For your viewers, I'll say for your viewers. <laughs> In America, a ball player they got a ball player and they send it to me. I don't do this anymore. I refuse to do it. It's too easy. I I would average three tenths off a lineman in two months. But uh, they would send a ball player here. And they would ask me what I'm going to do because I never run them. And they go, why aren't you going to run them? I go, well, he ran a 5-1 in four years. What's two more months of running going to do? Yeah, yeah. You have to make them more powerful. Yeah. Now, they did. They would do. They would go up, uh, up to Ohio State and they would do drills for linemen or linebackers. I took it. I took, I'll give you an example for all uh, the naysayers. I took a linebacker. He was freshman year uh, in the Big Ten. And he went to Minnesota, signed with Minnesota, got hurt. He went out there, he ran a 4-6-2 with a 38 vertical. He come to us after getting hurt and got cut. We trained him. He went to Houston and ran a 4-4-2 in Chuck Taylor's and a 44 vertical at the same body weight, 237. And how did I do it? The West Side system. But people don't know the West Side system. Yeah, yeah. They've never been here. Um, <clears throat> Louis, what... What what is the the situation with Westside? Can anybody come visit? Is it do they just get in touch and they ask? Do you charge a fee? Yeah. How how does that go? No, there's no charge. Uh, you just call, arrange a time to come, and you could come visit. Uh, we have people here from all over the world. Just had an Argentina uh, uh, rugby coach here. Had a Melbourne Storm here not that long ago. And this goes. I had the Russian speed skating strength coaches here. So all those coaches out there, these guys seem to do pretty good with the Westside system. Once you come here and learn it. So they, they just come and they stay in a hotel for a week and just go to the gym, is it? Yeah, a week or longer, hopefully longer, because there's, there's a lot to it. Okay, okay. I, I, think, I think you'll be seeing me over there at some stage. Well, I hope so. Um, last question then, Louis. Uh, just with resources, books, any videos, what do you recommend for, for the listeners, um, in your opinion? Okay, for sports, I would I would look at our uh, GPP and explosive power training DVDs for sports. Then you're going to kind of understand where we come from. And then for powerlifting, just the, the squat workout and the bench workout and spatial strength and reactive method tapes, that will give you a good idea what we do. And anyone that has ever read, if you've read Practice and Science and Strength Training, uh, that, you know, that presentation came out in 92, and you'll see that that's Westside. Yeah. I started this up in 1982. Uh, I switched to Soviet stuff in 1982. So that was the first book that really confirmed that I was you know, pretty much on track. And actually, uh, Dustin Zorchi does a class over in Pennsylvania at Penn State, and a friend of mine's in it, and he said we're 99% on. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a compliment you know, for us. Um, Louis, that's, that's, that's all the questions I have for you today. If you just want to stay online just, be, just before I, I let you go, I'm just going okay. to wrap up the podcast here. So, guys, uh, another great podcast. Uh, I really want, really want to thank uh, Louis for coming on and, and giving us 45 minutes or so of his time. Fantastic information. And um, for everybody listening, I will talk to you soon. Take care and mind yourselves.